Thanks for tuning in to the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 60. Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Humphrey. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we bring writers onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. That's right. And then we dig into it, talking about what works, what doesn't, kick around some ideas, chop them up into little tiny edible pieces, and create a culinary (laughs) masterpiece that we like to call Literary Gold. And then we break our teeth on it. Because it's candy. It's hard, hard candy. Fabulous. (laughs) Fabulous. <laughs> it's interesting. We had we had Moses Sirigar on the show last week, uh, uh, stepping in for mm. you as my wingman. He also went for the culinary uh, metaphor in terms of what we do with uh, with with these. I think everybody's hungry. At you know, this that's point. funny because I, I listened to it um, in the last couple of days, and maybe I just was so impressed with with what he did that I wanted to. Do an homage. An homage. See, Moses, yes. there you go, bud. Brian has homaged you. That's, Absolutely. That's badassery. That's badassery. Yeah. Oh, Brian, it is so wonderful to have you across the virtual table uh, and, and and sharing this experience with you again. I missed you, bud. I missed you, too. I'm freaking thrilled to be here. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And and let, let's just, as much as there, there could be a big bromance thing going on here, let's just move on and, and yes. get to the awesomeness <laughs> that is that is the round table. We'll hug in silence behind the mic. There you go. That's right. <laughs> While our guest host is talking. <laughs> oh, God, the fanfic that just flashed into my mind. I can't, no, we can't go there. Dear friends, <laughs> returning after her triumphant 20 minutes with uh, interview segment last week, we are pleased and delighted to have returning to the big chair at the round table, Cameron Hurley. Cameron, thank you so much for coming back and and oh, anticipating a, a, a frothing good time as we workshop a story. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Absolutely. Now, Yay. you've okay. Everybody knows Mirror Empire, August twenty sixth. It's 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 going to be out there. And it's going to be fabulous, um, epic. epic stuff. And and yes. Cameron, I I I feel like after our twenty minutes with, I feel like I know you. Uh, uh, at least I know you enough to know that's not all that's going on. <laughs> so so would you be so kind as as to enlighten Brian and myself and our listeners? By all means, wax rhapsodic on Mirror Empire, but also give us a taste of what else is happening in the world of Cameron Hurley. Well, you know, Mirror Empire is my first epic fantasy, and it actually follows a young girl named Lilia. She grew up under one sky and was forced through sort of this tear between worlds uh, to a different Mirror universe. Her mother actually sent her there as soldiers overran her village, and for years she's lived as this, you know, temple scullion uh, in this unfamiliar realm. And now she and others like her are being sought after because they have this ability to call on a star which has not entered the sky for 2,000 years. Uh, And with the coming of this incredible star in the sky, there's apocalyptic tidings, uh, very incredible cataclysms and things like that. And then there is, of course, the blood of thousands of the dead is going to be used to bridge between as a bridge between the worlds and allows these invaders to cross over. There are flesh eating plants. There are energy (laughs) swords that come out of people's wrists. There is political intrigue. There's polyamory. There's. Uh, violent matriarchies, there's patriarchies, there's three genders, there's five genders, there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on in the middle of this epic cataclysmic battle, literally where one world is going to uh, rise and the rest will perish. Holy crap. So it's a fairly simple story. (laughs) It was a fairly simple story. Yeah. Yeah. My agent will tell you it was real simple. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Now, now is it true, Cameron, that that the world that that this novel is set in was actually derived from a world you created during your late teens? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Uh, I actually started... Uh, the first map that I drew um, was actually, yeah, when I was 12 or 13, I think. I had a bunch of friends, and I'd bring in the short stories and stuff set in this world, and they would all be delighted because I'd use them as, like, templates for characters and, and all of that. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, once once I grew up, the world itself grew up with me, but the actual uh, geography of the place stayed the same. So my mom still has all of these um, all of these old maps from when I was 12 and 14 <laughs> and 19. 
mother. She totally, she actually emailed me. She's like, Cameron, I saw that you have the map done for Mirror Empire. Can you send me like a big file of that so I can print it out and put it on the wall with your others? Best like, I love mom you. I ever. I love you, mom. Yep. Best mom ever. And she's going to put it up on the fridge with the rest of the, the right, pictures. Exactly. Right. Awesome. Got to buy a bigger fridge. Now, now is this, I know. Yeah, no kidding. Now, is this the world of, of Yolanda and the green-eyed queens? Oh, my Lord. You did your homework. Oh, yeah, my baby. goodness, sir. <laughs> um, it is. It is actually that same world. Uh that is actually, it's known as Torden now. It's a southern uh, southern country that uh, we see more in book two. But yeah, that was the, where um, that particular short story took place. Very cool. Very yep. cool. Wrote that in the fourth grade. Yeah, yeah. baby. <laughs> you were a writer. You had to. I was a writer. That's, that's how right. it works. That's how it works. So, so uh, let's see. Um, of course, there's going to be convention appearances coming up. Right, yeah. I'm going to be uh, at Gen Con. Um and then after that, I'm not going to be at LonCon, but um, yeah, I'll be at Gen Con. And from then, uh, to be honest, I, I will be doing a massive blog tour until September 19th, um, doing the rounds in a bunch of radio places and all around the web. Um, and then I'm done. After September 19th, damn it, I will be working on book two. Uh, so you probably aren't actually going to be hearing a lot from me. Um, one of the things I learned is that sometimes you're promoting a book and sometimes you're writing a book and I will be writing a book from September 19th uh, until at least January. And then you guys might hear from me again. Um, <laughs> maybe ima- possibly. I would imagine so. the two don't mix. There's very little writing they during don't. promotion. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, and that's been something that's, uh, that's a real struggle, uh, for me in particular. It was something I learned from Jeff Vandermeer. Uh, he wrote a book called book life, which I recommend to a bunch of folks who mm. are struggling with how do I promote and how do I write because to me they take very different parts of my brain and oh, they God, take yes. up a lot of energy yeah um so for me when I give my six weeks to promotion of a book it is like that I try to do other things I try to get my word count in um but it generally doesn't happen so as of September 19th I'm done and then I'm like puff of smoke see you later uh <laughs> and I'm going to go work on some more work so head, head down to the keyboard, Batman. You got to do the work, you know? <laughs> I think people forget that. They hear the podcast and they see the guest blog post and they see a convention. It's like, oh, this is amazing. You live this life like Castle on TV. And it's I'm like, glamorous. No. <laughs> no, it's not like that at all. <laughs> nope, 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 not at all. Now, yeah. uh, do you have any short fiction that's coming out? I know that you know, Escape Pod has run some of your stuff and, and others. Uh, anything coming out? Yeah, um, I should have a short story. Uh, Jonathan Strahan has a, an anthology coming out next year. I will have a piece in. And then, of course, uh, the Mammoth Book uh, of SF Stories by Women, uh, edited right. by Alex McFarlane, is coming out, I think, in December, October, December. Uh, and I have a piece reprinted. It's actually a, a, a light speed story that you can actually read online called Enyo Enyo. And that one is going to be to be out then. And I think uh, also Uncanny Magazine, if their Kickstarter is successful, and I have no reason to think it won't be, I will have an essays show up uh, in that uh, magazine as well. Outstanding. Outstanding. Cameron, I will make sure that all of that gets into the liner notes. And I assume that the, the scheduling for the blog tour and all of the things you're doing, they can go to your website for that? Absolutely, yeah. I'm going to have a post go up August 25th, and it's going to have every single place that I'm going to be appearing. I think I have 30 guest posts that I'll be writing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, but you're no stranger to the guest posts, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know this. I ain't got it down. <laughs> and that's CameronHurley.com, right? Correct. Cameron with a K. Cameron with a K. Awesome. Very cool. Well, all right, friends. Uh, uh, that's the awesomeness of Cameron Hurley. Uh, check it all out because it's going to be fabulous. Uh, or it already is, depending on when you're listening to this. So, you know, time being what it is. But time right now is time for a promo. We're going to take a short pause for, for another fabulous podcast or or an ebook or, or, or some other fabulosity that's happening out there in the world. When we come back, the plan is we're going to workshop a story. Sound good? Brilliant. Yes, brilliant. I like it. I like it as well. Friends, you guys don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Dan Dan the Art Man's Book Reviews, a podcast where I share my book reviews with you. I go about my reviews a little different. I try not to, like, summarize the book. I just kind of try and tell you how I felt about the book, why I liked it, why I didn't, and that's about it. Mostly, I read sci-fi and fantasy, but I also try and read broadly Mothering Heights by Emily Bronte, 11 63 by Stephen King, dandantheartman.com. Lords and ladies, 
<laughs> I don't even remember how I used to do this. <laughs> it's been a long damn time. It's been a long time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Roundtable Podcast. And uh, this is the part that I always look forward to the most. We have Cameron Hurley with us. And um, that in and of itself is going to make this pretty epic. And this is the workshop portion where we bring along a uh, an aspiring writer and uh, listen to what they have brought to us with a story idea and then uh, we tear the hell out of it and have some fun. And make it awesome. That's right. So who's our writer, Dave? Well, our writer, without whom the Roundtable podcast really does not exist. Uh, uh, Our our guest writer, Brian, is a native New Englander in the process of becoming an adopted Yinzer. Now, bonus points. Does anybody know what the fuck a Yinzer is? Okay, I, I, I actually Wikipedia'd this. It means that she's moved to Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's apparently Yinzers are awesome. what are what the uh, so anybody out there in the round table crowd from Pittsburgh, yo Yinzers, what's up? Uh, she is a practicing registered nurse, earner of a master's of theological studies from Harvard Divinity School, and wow. a former martial artist. Uh, Now, she found that these disparate aspects of her life have been a boon to the creation of urban fantasy, and she's pretty well-versed in demons, Uh, and when one attacks a character, what's going to break and just how much it's going to hurt. Uh, She is the author of Shaman, book one and book two, available on Amazon Kindle, or in PDF format directly from her website, The Last Chance Salon, at lastchancepod.com. Dear friends, Welcome our courageous guest writer for this episode of the Roundtable, Shiri Sondheimer. Shiri, there is, it is it is never easy to offer up your baby for scrutiny and brainstorming. <laughs> I commend your bravery and extend my gratitude to you. Thank you, ma'am. I'm curtsying, but you just can't Ooh, see? Ooh. See? She's gonna make a great She's night. Polite too. She's polite. <laughs> I like that. She's gonna make a great night. So 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 Harvard Divinity School. Yes. Holy crap. And and did you learn about demons at Harvard? I learned yeah. My my focus was um Christianity and social justice, um, which was sort of interesting because that is not <laughs> the religion I was raised in or the religion I practiced. I was gonna say there's an oxymoron there, isn't there? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um <laughs> But I was lucky enough to study with some really amazing people. That's awesome. So. Yeah. That's awesome. And you're putting it to good use. And and you've you've yeah. put it to good use with the story that you've brought today, I think. Oh geez, I hope so. <laughs> well <laughs> well let's let's get on and let's find out. I, I, I think we're gonna be pleasantly surprised. Uh, oh, by the way, the reason people are from Pittsburgh are called Yinzers. Yes, please. Is instead of you know, down south it's y'all. Yeah. Like Maryland and South. Sure. In Pittsburgh it's Yins. Yins. Yins all going downtown. Yins all going downtown. Okay, Yins. So Yins is like y'all, but only in Pittsburgh and the immediate surrounding area. See, and I, I was going like yin yang. I didn't know what that was. Thank you, Sherry. I, and the first time I actually heard somebody say it for real, because I'd only ever heard people say it as a joke before, I was at work and I fell off my chair. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, what? I'm like, nothing. Which don't worry about it. Did not endear you to your coworkers, I would imagine. <laughs> I literally fell off my chair. <laughs> well, stay on your chair now, Sherry. And and let's, let's roll in. I want to hear your pitch. So, so here's the deal. We give you five to eight minutes. You tell us, it introduces to the story, what kind of genre is it? Is it a novel, a short story, a series of novels? Introduces to the world, the characters, the themes. Give us some tent poles of your plot arc, uh, uh, and, and we'll dive into this. So I'm, I'm going to shut the heck up. Shiri, the mic is all yours. Okay. Uh, the working title of this piece is the bear and the dragon and it's a working title that needs a lot of work (laughs) um it's science fiction with fantasy elements the the hook i came up with and these are hard for me because i don't know no matter how good it is they always sound kind of strange but (laughs) when arthur the desperate warlord of a pangalactic alliance makes a pact to save his people binding him in marriage to power hungry belissa del medico and her pet disgraced knight, the fate of the Kemlin Alliance, is drenched in hate and blood. The theme is, uh, this is a story about whether Arthur's love of his people and his knight's loyalties are enough to sustain hope and an empire. The world, which has evolved over the 10 years I've been working on this, (laughs) 
Camlin is an alliance of planets, each of which has agreed to defend the others against the encroachment of the Saxon tribes, would-be conquerors from the other side of the galaxy. The disparate peoples of the alliance often find themselves at odds with one another, despite Arthur's efforts and those of his knights, each from a different member planet, and each loyal to both the warlord and to his or her own leadership. Upon joining the alliance, the duke the dukes make a pledge of troops and weapons to the common cause. Some are more willing to keep their word than others. The most recalcitrant is the Duke of Cornwall, one of the most populous planets in the Alliance, and one of great strategic importance due to its proximity to civilian evacuation routes. The Duke is always in need of a prize and refuses to commit resources prior to his demands being met. Arthur must comply if he has any hope of protecting the Alliance's population should the Saxons gain a foothold. The characters. The protagonist is Arthur, warlord of the Camelon Alliance. Devoted to the safety of his people, above all, he puts their needs before his own desires, sometimes to the point of blindness to signs all is not right. His father, Uther, was a tyrant, and though he kept the Alliance together for many years, Arthur vowed to be a different sort of leader after his father is murdered in an attempted coup brought about when Uther fails to heed the warnings of his counsel regarding his conduct. Arthur's marriage to Belissa del Medigo, daughter of Cornwall's duke, a deal Uther, knowing Cornwall, would never have made, not even for the coherence of the alliance, proves Arthur's greatest challenge, his desperation to believe he has given up the love of his life for the greater good, blinding him to Belissa's subtle machinations. He is supported by his knights, Roshani Bint Azar of Caesarea, reserved, quiet, from an isolated desert world where survival is a struggle, when she speaks others listen, Morgana of Avalon, Arthur's half-sister, raised on completely egalitarian Camelot, she is outspoken and quick-tempered, though being abandoned by her mother and shunned by Uther has made her loyal to a fault as regards those she loves. Zamazumi Yori, from a world of pacifists, he is a necessarily anomalous warrior. Honorable to a fault, haunted by past sins, he would be happy to die in battle. Vilkenti Zenitra, from an ice world with densely packed population centers, fine with Camelot's cramped quarters, he's a brawler. Rafiq bin Mutamid, raised in opulence, used to being obeyed. Women are a bit sheltered in his world, though still actively involved in commerce and politics. He has a little bit of white knight syndrome, which makes him a target for Belissa. The primary antagonist is Belissa del Medigo. Raised on Cornwall, one of the only worlds in the system on which men are dominant, she has met many emissaries and knows things could be different. She wishes to govern her own life and to express her rage regarding her treatment growing up by dominating others. The bargain with Arthur is, in fact, her idea. She sees his care for his people as slavish and easily manipulated. Agravain. The disgraced knight who led the coup against Uther, Agravain wants the power promised to him. After his failure, he fled to Cornwall, met Belissa, and, sensing a kindred spirit, she convinced her uncle, Pope of the One God, a minority religion in the Alliance, to hide Agravain from the Alliance forces. They are the means to one another's ends. Then the story outline. Act 1 begins with Roshani and Yori journeying to Cornwall to fetch Belissa for the marriage. On the return trip, Agravain, quote, captures Belissa in order to garner sympathy from Arthur and the knights, hoping they will see her as a naive innocent and be blinded to her subtle machinations. Upon rescue, she drugs Yori and glamours herself as Morgana, revealing her true identity only after they have been intimate. Though not his fault, it is a blow to his honor. Belissa uses the incident as ammunition for blackmail, as well as her knowledge of Yori's past, and forces him to become her man. Agravain remains on the rim, the outer limits of the Alliance, gathering an army. In Act 2, Belissa marries Arthur and becomes a member of the Alliance Council, insinuating herself into everyone's lives. A consummate actress, she has no difficulty doing so, though Roshani and Rafiq remain suspicious. Time passes and changes are made, including the introduction of the Church of the One God. 
When Roshani and Morgana confront Arthur and Belissa, Belissa promises to investigate and returns a false report despite the independent evidence. Roshani decides to leave Camlin as her people demand religious freedom, and she sees that, despite the council's attempts, Arthur is so concerned about angering Cornwall, he tries to accommodate all and fails to do well by anyone. Vilkenti, now Roshani's husband, leaves with her, and the rest follow suit as the situation progresses and Arthur loses all control. In Act 3, Belissa is now the tyrant. Agravain has joined her with their army, and the two rule openly, though they keep Arthur alive. Agravain to humiliate him, and Belissa as a trophy she can show when needed. The knights, each living his or her own life, some in hiding, some having taken religious orders, and some fighting when necessary to defend their homes, convene after a brutal Saxon raid and decide they must take the alliance back. They, in effect, start a civil war, though Arthur, whom they have freed, initially begs them not to. After witnessing families who refuse to convert slaughtered, those who will not give their children to Agravain's army beaten and burned out of their homes, and seeing one of Vilkenti and Roshani's children kidnapped and murdered, however, he realizes he must fight. The civil war culminates with the Battle of Baden, where Arthur is mortally wounded. The fates of the others are, as yet, undecided. <laughs> Still working Ta-da! that out. Ta-da! Still working that out. Still working that out. Part of the reason why you're on the round table. Awesome. Exactly. Very cool. Well Sweet. done, Sherry. Well yeah. done. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, uh, let's let's dive into this then. Uh, but before we do, uh, holy smokes, I, I almost blew right by this. Brian, would you be so kind as to give our disclaimer, please? Absolutely. <clears throat> so, Sherry, in the course of what is about to ensue um bloodletting <laughs> may occur uh anything and everything that is said by either dave myself or um our wonderful guest cameron um could very likely be and most likely will be complete and total bullshit and you have every right in the world to throw it out and just go with whatever your gut says is right absolutely absolutely sure this is your story I'll cry Cameron quietly. Hurley told me a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> 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 Brian. <it> right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I have to say that, um, you know, this this was always more of a traditional Arthur story, Cameron, until I read the Beldam Apocrypha. And then I was like, <laughs> wait, there's other people I can use for this. Doesn't have to be just yes! white dudes. Awesome. So thank you for that already. <laughs> yeah, it is so funny. Uh, and sorry, Dave, I don't know if you want to jump in with something. Uh, uh, Go for just, it. Thro- just throw open the gates. Uh, so it was very interesting because I was like, oh, no wonder she wanted me on this. <laughs> <laughs> and I can see, it's very interesting that you said that because I could see that. Um, dissonance when I was reading, uh, you know, the overall idea. It was like, this was something, and this is, I, I, I spot this process because it's a process I went through as a writer. This is something that someone went, oh, this is, you know, hey, it'll be Arthur in space and the knights and there'll be different stuff. It'd be cool. And then someone went, oh, crap. Yeah, again, right? Oh, there are other people and I can do some amazing other things. And I think this is also interesting too because I started to wonder as I as you get to the end, you start to go, is this Arthur's story or is this Alyssa's exactly. yeah. story? Right? Yeah. Or, yeah. Like, or is it the knight's yeah. story? Mind. Yeah, or is it right. the knight's story? Is it the, again, do we come in with all the different POVs? I assume this is a novel, right? Correct. Okay, yeah, it better be a novel. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because that was, yeah, that was my immediate thing where I'm like, oh, I, th- I think this started out as, oh, we're going to retell, again, these are the stories that we've seen and we're going to tell them in space and that's cool. Um, I'm retelling a, a, a Nordic saga uh, in a, a book called Legion I'm working on. So that's totally awesome. Oh, oh yeah, I know. People are going to be excited about that one. But anyway, um, so I, I saw this and I was like, oh, okay, I can totally see what she's doing. But I'm wondering if in this process, did you start to think about that at all? Where you're like, actually, this is more of an interesting character than some of these others. And actually, not. in the you know the in the various incarnations, I have sort of tried to force it to be Arthur's story, and it actually ends up being more um, Roshani's story. Mm, yeah, and than is, anyone is else. Roshani more? I, I Roshani seems like uh, to, to resonate a lot with Lancelot. Actually, um, no. She's no, Bla- okay. she's Blaze. She's Merlin's apprentice ah. in the in the lore okay she's a very minor character in the lore that i decided to serve more screen time so to speak very good very good well and 
yeah and to be honest that 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 to me is your much more a much more interesting hook than I'm telling Arthur and the Knights in space, right? Right. The more interesting hook is I'm telling the apprentice to Merlin and it it in a sort of Arthur-esque, you know, space opera. Um that I think is is going to get you a much more interesting like way in of speaking about the story um than you might necessarily be with with Arthur. So I I agree. I agree. Especially, I mean, you've got this rich uh, 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 cast list uh, above and beyond Arthur, who actually seem to have a lot more screen time than yeah. Arthur does. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, so absolutely, I think Cameron's idea is awesome. And and out of, I, I do have a couple of questions here, and I think we all might have a few points of clarification to ask. So let's let's do those. Cameron, do you have any any questions or points of clarification that that you'd like to present to Sherry before we dive in deeper? Uh, I think my uh, immediate things are, and, and this has saved my butt in a lot of stories, is I need to know, and I, I would be interested if you know as yet, um, something to think about, what does Arthur want? What does he really want? What does Roshani want? What do each of these characters really want? And do they get it at the end of the story? Because when I'm looking at this, I'm not seeing... What are there? It's interesting. There's the there's the overall plot, right? And that's that's mm-hmm. that's wonderful. But what drives us and what moves us to continue reading stories is what are the personal stakes? What are the personal stakes that are wrapped up in this larger conflict that we really need to have to deal with? Um, so that's that is something I'm interested if you know that or if that's something that you know you want to explore is what do each of these people want and do they get it at the end? Some of them I know, and I guess now that I'm thinking about it, some of them I don't. Mm. So that is something I need to figure out. <laughs> just and, and just purely, I've done the same thing, Shiri. Out of curiosity, just from a writerly curiosity, yes. what what prompted you to bring in those characters that you don't know? What what impulse were you were you fulfilling? Do you think when when you padded the 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 guest list, the guest list, the cast list with with these these characters that aren't quite as clear to you? Um, <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, and this is probably a really stupid reason to have characters. Never a stupid reason. Um, <laughs> Never. <laughs> three is a, such a big number in Celtic lore. I was trying to make the round table nine people. Ah, okay. And then mm. Belissa would be the That's tenth. not stupid. Yeah. No, that's... So she wouldn't yeah, yeah. actually fit. She'd Numeric symmetry is mm. awesome. No, that's fine. But you don't... But again, you don't need to know necessarily all nine. I mean, every, every movie of Arthur, and even every book of Arthur, you usually twig on three or four or five of, of the knights of the round table. You can say there's nine and, and so on. So that's, that's, no, that's fine. That's fine. And I, I would even venture to say that you don't have to absolutely know all of them right away. That some of them, mm-hmm. you know, you may have a character that's saying, hey, I need to be in this. I really need to be in this. And you don't know why. And you put them in. And then, you know, around chapter 25, you go, holy you figure shit, it out. that's what it is. <laughs> okay. And, you know. And now I need to backfill. <laughs> right. Four chapters. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Shiri, I'm curious. And this is the world builder in me. I can't help but ask. Um, Interstellar Alliance. Uh, yes. uh, how do they travel from planet to planet? Yes. Spaceships. Thundercats. 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 Oh. Thundercats had a spaceship. Ho! Um... <laughs> Okay, uh, are, is it is it faster than light travel? Are there jump gates? Blah blah blah. Faster than light travel. Okay, why then is there a civilian evacuation bottleneck at Cornwall? If everybody that is can... a very good question. Thank you, thank you. Um, I have to be perfectly honest again, Dave, with you helping me with the pitch, mm-hmm. and you said, well, there has to be a reason this planet is important. So I made one up, and I haven't figured out exactly how it fits in uh, yet. I have I have some suggestions. We can talk about that later. I just wanted to check check on that. Um, uh, the other question I had, and and this is again, uh, I didn't hear a lot of magic, uh, uh, and and you know you build it as a sci fi fantasy, and and you mentioned you mentioned uh, Billis's glamour. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, of Yuri in the seduction, and then there's not a lot of magic going on. There's the one god, uh, uh, which I think is, is we can definitely riff on uh, to to greater length uh, later on the in the workshop. But uh, how do you see magic in in this world? I'm trying to make the magic subtle. Okay. Um, I it's not necessarily something I want to make central to the the plot. I just sort of want it to be. 
Okay. Um, like Morgana, for instance, which I probably should have mentioned, has some, um, e- not ESP, but you know, she can talk to people. Is is it magic right. or is it psionics? Is it, in, and I'm not looking for a magic system, although, oh my God, magic systems. Okay, um, here's the thing. I do have a magic system that okay. I use in my other books that I like, that I use because I think it comes from my medical background. People have magical abilities that or abilities that would seem magical, but I try to explain them via genetics. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you don't need to info dump about that, no, right? It's just no. it's good for you to know in the background. Yeah. 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 And and you know it's 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 I, essentially brain it's psionics. brain access. Psionics, yeah. sure, absolutely, and that's that's all I'm thinking. Because sometimes, you know, depending on on the prevalence of, of the magic, the magic can actually be a character in the story, or or have mm-hmm. a thematic influence on the unfolding of events. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and in this case, you know, knowing me, I'll probably work that in at some point. Um, <laughs> but but we'll we'll continue on. Brian, did you have any any questions or points of clarification you wanted to ask? Well, I just had one because you mentioned the Saxon tribes being yeah. this massive, ah, yes. sort of overbearing. Um, thing that is sort of in the background and then you don't mention them again. Do we ever see them? Yes. Okay. What do they want? So they do come into play at some point. Correct. What do they want? They are space Viking raiders. Yeah, but what do they want? What do they want? They want, they want resources, they want mostly resources and slaves. Okay. Okay. We can play with that. See, this is why, this is why, I will say, (laughs) so this is a book where I've rewritten the first 100 pages and the last 25 pages, literally 100 times, and I get to the middle, and I'm bored writing it. I'm like, okay, I know there's something here, but... I'm bored, and then I stop. Yeah. You have come to the right place, Sherry. All right, yeah. all right. So, so uh, one one of the most potent weapons we have in in our battle against mundanity and writing boredom is the the ever powerful what if, what if, uh, what if, uh, and and also some explorations, some some poignant questions, some tightening up. So, with that in mind, I'm I'm going to throw a what if on the table and see if this is something that, and I think we've kind of already discussed it. But what 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 if Rish, this is a story about Rashani? Are, are we agreed that that by shifting the focus uh, uh, away from Arthur and having Arthur be sort of a, a reflection of Rashani's core aspects? Uh, Rashani or Belissa? Yeah. Ooh. Okay. So Belissa. To be honest, uh, uh, but uh, I'm I'm an anti-hero sort of person, <laughs> right? Dark, so I'm like, oh, dark, Belissa. Yeah. yeah. So, it, but someone besides Arthur. Arthur seems more like uh, again. He seems like kind of the catalyst where he comes mm-hmm. into everyone's lives and like, ah, fuck this guy. Um, so that, that he seems to be the wrench in whatever plans, whatever things that they want, whatever he wants is directly opposite that, right? So he's the one who comes in and that's where our tension comes from. I find that a lot of the times when I'm getting bored in a scene, it's because I don't know what people want and they are not within that scene, you know, there's no tension in the scene because they're not saying, I want this thing, well, I want this other thing. There needs to be some kind of tension. Um, and as long as they're all kind of like, well, we're all moving toward the plot at the end, there's not going to be a lot of tension. Um, but I think if he comes onto the scene, it's like, I want something that, again, is directly in opposition with what Roshani wants and, of course, with what Melissa wants, um, that's going to make it a much more interesting for you and for the reader. And we need to find out what that is. And I right. will say, right? I know, yeah. I, in a way, I sort of, I know one of the things Arthur wants. So when I first started this whole deal, um, Arthur and the Blaze character were the original couple that got broken up by the political marriage in this version. And I think I would like to keep this, depending on what you guys think. It's actually Arthur and Rafiq that were okay. partners before okay. the marriage. So there is, yeah, this political marriage that breaks them up uh-huh. and it messes up their lives and they are upset about it. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm, one of the things that strikes me is, is Arthur is a little nice. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's a little perfect. Uh, and and I, I'm wondering if we, can, if we can sully him up just a little bit uh, and, and make, you know, gray him down and maybe brighten Belissa a little bit uh, so, we, so we have a little more thing. I'm thinking, you know, the idea of, of Uther being a tyrant and, and ruling with an iron fist and, and doubtless ruling his son with an iron fist as well. Um, uh, 
you know, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm working this vibe like, like Arthur, Arthur is, is, is all about freedom. It, it's this bizarre paradox of freedom with control issues. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you, 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 you all must be free, but you must be free in my playground. In the way that I say. Exactly. Okay. Right. Exactly. Because, because that brings us again, that gives us that complexity that is there in real life. Um, where it's like, uh, you know, it's it's fantastically wonderful that, oh, there's this person who wants to come and he wants to do X, but the tension comes from, yeah, he wants to do this wonderful thing for you, but, oh, it means there there will be, always, again, the ones who walk away from Amelia's, uh, the uh, Le Guin story, where, yes, we can all live in wonderful peace and harmony, but every year there is one child who must live in torturous, mm-hmm. slavedom conditions for that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's sure. saying, yes, you're going to get this cookie, but in the meantime, someone's going to be tortured. Um, and that is the tension. That's where you find your your greatest points of tension is, yeah, you're going to get this thing, but do you really want to trade it for this other thing you'll get too? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right, right. Well, and you you described at the very beginning, you did, your description of Arthur started with he is a warlord, and then mm. there was no war in him. <laughs> it was always, don't go fight, don't go fight, don't go fight. Oh, I'm mortally wounded and I die. You know? Gotcha, um, okay. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and I'm thinking. I'm thinking we need we need a taste of that. We need a we need a to, to demonstrate uh, Arthur's fanaticism uh, uh, and his, his his darkness as well as as his light. It seems like there needs to be in the in, in the beginning uh, uh, a small skirmish, something something that will allow you to showcase the the, the politics of the world. You know, to, to talk to to show Cornwall asking for his treat for his prize before his warships will roll in. Uh, uh, blah blah blah. Um, maybe maybe some kind of uh, well. A- how about how about uh, a Saxon outpost? One of one of the borderlands uh, uh, has has fallen to the Saxons, and and Arthur and his knights are going out to to liberate it from the Saxons. Then we can see the Saxons early on, uh, and and establish them as a virulent, horrific. Uh, uh, foe that's that's always nipping at the edge. We can see Arthur in battle. Mm-hmm. We can see some of the tech, and we can also see Arthur being something of a prick when it comes to no, don't tell me how to do what I do. We're gonna do it my way or the highway. That type of thing. What do you think of that? I think that's awesome. And also, again, and this is something uh, Robert Bennett does very good in a book coming out called City of Stairs. Also, uh, going back to showing, and I think that yeah, what Dave said about that initial conflict that we see every, everything should be in that initial scene right mm-hmm. so we see he comes in oh i'm going to liberate you but in fact the saxons have given them some good stuff too yeah. right oh now right. you're free to vote right you they can't vote for or something something better than that but you know and, and in fact yeah you're getting back the freedoms that i gave you but you're also losing some freedoms that the saxons gave you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what what if the saxons were yeah. aliens what 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 if the Saxons uh, uh, have some some kind of oh god I don't know a mind meld or or an eternity potion or you know some some MacGuffin uh, something that is awesome uh, uh, that comes at a terrible price but some people are willing to pay that price because it's so awesome uh, universal really health care universal health care that's what I was just thinking everyone knows with that there you go absolutely they have Obamacare. They have Obamacare. <laughs> um, don't even go there. We're not. No, I, I'm going to edit that <laughs> out. I got to delete that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Um, anyway, uh, uh, so just, just again, to accentuate the fact that, that Arthur's imposing his sense of right and wrong upon people that maybe don't necessarily want it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Sounds to me. Which, which kind of then, you know, Belissa, and, and here's the cool thing about what that does for Belissa. Belissa can be the scheming, manipulative, power-hungry, uh, 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 hu- uh, what's the word? Not aggressive. Uh, uh, ambitious. That's the word I'm looking for. Ambitious uh, uh, woman that she is. But but because she's going up against Arthur, all of those, those negative qualities are actually kind of cool because she's actually liberating Arthur, which which uh, the people from Arthur, which makes Rashani as the central POV character, uh, uh, this wonderful conflict between, you know, sworn fealty and oaths and promises made and the value of honor versus what's right. And, and not just what's right in terms of you know, humanity and so on and so forth. But if Rashani is blaze, if, if Rashani is an apprentice to a Merlin like power, 
then maybe there's an even higher structure or, or, or deeper structure or organization that, that comes into play as, as the story unfolds. I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling at this point. So, <laughs> Good Hydra. Good Hydra. Good Hydra. Good Hydra. There you go. Awesome. Um, Cameron, let's 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 focus on uh, uh, Belissa since that seems to be your wheelhouse. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, where's the anti-hero? I'll take that one. Where, where's the? Yes, absolutely. Please. Uh, what what can we do to to refine and crystallize Belissa into a, a a strong counter POV? Because I want her to be. I want her to be like. I just don't want her to be evil. evil. Because I think one of the, well, I think one of the problems with books and movies is that the really interesting women are evil. Like they have to be evil to be interesting, and then they get punished for whatever they did wrong. Mm-hmm. And right. I, I don't like. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, and again, that it's very easy in that you just make her a human the way that you are making Arthur a human, and, and the way that you do that is to say these are the good things. And these are, you know, the maybe the things that in our society that we would not think are so cool, um, but that she has a passionate belief that these are the right things uh, to do. Um, and I think that I think some of the tension here is that, uh, again, we're, we're focusing on, oh, Arthur is the main character. And I think probably also you should probably change Arthur's name. I think you can steal a plot. I steal plots all the time without, you know, stealing <laughs> Arthur. Don't we all? So, uh, you know, Artorio here, um, you know, I think we can we can make that work uh, and, and steal the plot. But, yeah, I think that it's just a matter of, and I know this sounds incredibly simple uh, and simplistic when you hear it, but it really is, what does she want? She wants, okay, so Melissa marries Arthur. Um, and becomes a member of the, you know, the Alliance Council, and, and she insinuates her. What, what does she want? What is her drive for marrying Arthur? Now, as presented, it was ambition to rule. Ambition. Okay. I don't like that, but, though, because I feel like right? it's too, like, bleh. Well, and it's okay to be ambitious, but uh, uh, there's usually we're ambitious for a reason. We're ambitious because right. society rewards us and says, you are, you know, a politician, you are a rich banker, you are whatever. So it, is her society rewarding her for this ambition? Uh, and again, I think she was, she was from the patriarchal society, right? right. Mm-hmm. right. So a, as a woman, is she really going to be, you know, is this about ambition? Is this about, I want to get out of my circumstances? Is this about this? I want to be a political entity. Is this about, um, again, we really have to get at these core um, questions for her as an individual. What is the, it that I want? What is the, what is the value of ambition in her society? Um, and, and I think once you have that, I think everything else will sort of fall into place. I think it's very easy to say, oh, well, you know, everyone wants power. Well, does she in that society? Is is it, and there's other society where there's other things that we value. It's very recently actually that we've come to think that, oh, um, stockpiling wealth is, you know, some kind of amazing thing that people should do. In fact, that used to be like, you were, uh, freaking jerk for stockpiling wealth. There's something wrong with you, right? right. Yeah, right during the war, you know, uh, there was a 90% uh, tax rate and and it was considered really you're a jerk for doing that and now we we value that. So look at the changing values of the society and figure out, well, what is, is she doing this for herself? Is she doing this because it's something that's considered valuable? I think that that will lead you uh, to make her her more interesting character. Well, and what are the the things that you can do for, 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 for any POV character, for any character at all, is to make them really good at something and, mm. and what if she's really really good at uh, uh, seeing patterns seeing structures uh, uh, in organizations in culture in, in in administration so on and so forth to the point where she she can make things work beautifully but because she's a woman in a patriarchal society the the assertion of that gift that power that ability of hers is is frowned upon she's 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 uppity she she doesn't know her place uh, why isn't she married blah 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 and and there's and and maybe you know one of the opening scenes can be her being smacked down really hard uh, for for taking initiative and making something better uh, uh, and and that's that's it. I have had it with you people. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna manipulate my father. I'm gonna manipulate whoever I have to to get out of here. Who's who's the beacon of freedom around here? Oh look, there's Arthur, the okay. beacon of freedom. 
I'm going to get out of this bullshit world and I'm going to tack myself onto Arthur. And maybe it's an evolution. You know, for, at first it's like, I got to get out of here. And then she gets into Arthur's camp and it's like, holy crap, Arthur is worse than my father. Mm-hmm. And now she needs to literally stop stop going from old structure to old structure and start defining her own structure. Burn it all down. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Well, yeah. And there's something to that. In fact, because that's what makes her that that's what will make her more of the villain character is when you talk about what is it that she wants and yeah, she can want power. That's great. But then take it one step further and say, why, what is the thing that she's trying to correct and put us in a position as readers where at some point we go, She's got a point. And I actually kind of want her to succeed, Mm -hmm. except that the way that she's going about it is missing some kind of ethic to it, you know? And I, I, when I talk about this in my creative writing classes, I go back to Amada's proposal and the idea that, yes, we want to get rid of overpopulation. We want to get rid of hunger. We want to get rid of poverty. And his, his whole uh, solution for that was to eat babies. (laughs) <laughs> right and it would work it solves the it problem abs- like if you if you think about it on a logical level it would absolutely work Indeed it would. because you sell them and so you're taking care of poverty and um you know you it's it's a new food source so you've taken care of hunger and and so you look at this and you go wow actually this could work and so at some point you go well yeah but there's that little ethical thing of <laughs> we eating don't really babies like eat babies you know it's not <laughs> okay to, to do that here. yeah see cameron could yeah, work so, that though cameron could totally spin that (laughs) (laughs) so if you do that if you say okay she wants x and i agree she needs to do x and then all of a sudden her plan to to actually carry that out you go no wait 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 that's not that's not what i signed up for that's what is going to twist her and make us really conflicted within ourselves Mm -hmm. because we want her to succeed but not in the way that she's going about it when she finally does have the power to do what she ends up doing you know, what if what if instead of Yuri, she seduces? What if she seduces Rashani, and without glamour? Interesting. See, and I was just gonna say now that I have all these ideas, what if? Can I? What if? <laughs> Absolutely. What if yeah. away? Yeah. So what if? <laughs> what if? Um, you know, Roshani and Belissa. Yes, that would actually be awesome. Start really far apart, and actually, in the end kind of hate each other but also find that they have this common purpose mm-hmm. or with that totally everything well I, 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 I think that's great yeah again i think that our, our issue is we we want to have black and white characters we want to have people this is the bad guy and this is the good guy and in fact that's not how the real world is everyone thinks that they're good Everyone at their heart and their soul thinks I am doing the thing that is best for me. Um, And that's where the really good characters come from. So I I think that you can absolutely do that. And I think it's a much more interesting story Um, when you have people who there's, there's, you know, again, who's the hero? I hear that a lot with my work. And it's like, there's no hero. Everyone's a hero of their own story. Um, And I think when you realize that and when you write that, you write more interesting stories. Yeah. Yeah, well, Arthur certainly feels he's the hero of his story. He's mm-hmm. he's he's making things better from his father's tyranny, uh, uh, and 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 Belissa is is worthy in her own mind of of doing what she does well. So mm-hmm. so by God, get she's she's doing it. Rashani, uh, uh, in, in service to honor and in service to to magic, uh, uh, is is living. And see, and Rashani, Rashani, what does Rashani want? Uh, mm-hmm. I you know that's there. Rashani seems to be almost uh, uh, this 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 bullet just kind of flying through at a, at a vector that was fired by someone else, uh, uh, and and you know agency is going to be the word that gets invoked at this point. You know what does Rashani want? Oh, sorry, I was tapping my paper. I do that sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I get yelled at on on my other podcast for clicking pens. Ah. Um, she wants peace. She wants out of all of this. Okay, why to do what to pursue what? Mm-hmm. Not you can't get can't go with that. I I I don't want this. You know, I I want peace to accomplish what to achieve what. Well, and maybe that's the issue with her characters. I know what she doesn't want, but okay. I guess I don't know mm. what she does want. Yeah. Okay. So 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 Rashani does not want conflict and stress. Does she want to be a knight of of Arthur's uh, uh, legion? Yeah. How did she end up being a knight? 
Um, What's her backstory? Yeah. Her backstory is that, so in the course of looking up armor, I found Persian armor that I liked, and it was specifically Caesarian armor. Okay. Um, not Caesar, not C. It's an Saracen? Saracen? No, it's not Saracen. Okay. It's Caesarian. Okay. And it, it was this very short period in the Persian Empire where women were equal to men. Okay. And they shared in politics and there were female generals and all this other stuff. So her mother um, is the head of this sort of she's she's the ruling party on on their planet. And then her husband dies and then <laughs> I have a chart. Um, <laughs> Rafiq's mother dies and Roshani's mother marries Rafiq's father and uh, they all get moved to Camelot which is the main planet of the Alliance and she grows up with Arthur and she kind of falls into being a knight by virtue of duty and honor and all that other stuff okay 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 falls into accidentally no, it no, just no. happened Blah. those are yeah those are those are eh, I, I can't we need to have really solid like someone made a choice there was agency uh you know uh, there something there was a choice between this and this and they chose this um I got it falling into yeah I, I think it. I meant chose I think I meant more okay. cho- chose by virtue of no. expectation. Rashani's okay. mother backed Agravain during the usurpation. And as penalty, she had to surrender her firstborn daughter to serve in Arthur, Arthur's Knights as insurance against her future loyalty to the Arthurian cause. Isn't that and taking re- away Roshani's agency, though? Not necessarily. If Roshani really wants to be uh, a tax clerk, let's say so, Roshani, <laughs> Roshani secretly studies tax law. You know, where they're like, let's go out into the yard and do X, Y, and Z. And she has this other thing that she's really passionate about. To be honest, it's those little things that make us love people, right? It's those it's those little details that make us go, oh, I'm so sorry, you're stuck in this horrific situation, but you're trying you know again to get out or to work around it or something like that find out what she's in love with and it's okay if she's stuck in a shitty situation if you find out what she's in love with and you show us that what what if she was studying with merlin and and now has to discontinue her studies you know she was she was destined to be the next merlin she's going to be the heir she's going to be the next merlin Nuts. That's awesome. but now she can't <laughs> but now she can't because you know if she if she if she leaves arthur her mother and her whole land is dead. Yeah. They're, they're going to be cut down by Arthur's forces. So she can't leave. But she has this manifest destiny. She was told by Merlin, uh, or, or whatever the Merlin force is that you want to evolve in this. Uh, His name uh, is Baza Rohan. Baza, Baza Rohan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, she was anointed as his heir. And and they were about to do the, the 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 final investiture of power, and and that ritual was interrupted by Arthur's knights claiming, pulling her from her her achievement of her manifest destiny, uh, uh, to to pay this tithe of loyalty in flesh and blood to to ensure her mother's uh, uh, loyalty in the future. You should just drop the mic right now, dude. Bam. <laughs> that was awesome. Bam. Because, because we're done. <laughs> it is agency for her to choose her family over Merlin, right? It's like right. she still has the choice. It's an impossible choice, but she still gets to choose. And it's a wonderful parallel, too, because Belissa is suffering from the same thing. She's not being allowed to be herself to achieve her destiny. And, and, and so she has been thwarted. She's seizing agency and as Brian you observe probably not in a gentle way or, or a pleasant way or a way that we can maybe get behind but we can certainly understand why if we demonstrate what a horror it is when she actually tries to be good at what she does uh, and then you've got Arthur who has achieved his goal and is fucking it up hugely and and making a mess of things so you've got I mean this this is this is a this is a tale of destinies I of, love it when everyone's in 
asshole in books. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. It's like you're sort of a hero and you're also sort of a Dick. <laughs> well, because you're, you're dick someone's hero. hero. Yeah, you're a hero to someone, and you're yeah. a dick to somebody else. You know, mm-hmm. yep, you can be both. Everybody is. Yeah. Everyone is. Absolutely. <laughs> Speak from experience. All right, I'm watching the clock tick down here, so I want to I want to take one last turn around the table. Uh, 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 actually, before we do, Shiri, was there something? And I should have asked this initially. Is, was there something you hoped we would really touch on that we haven't gotten to yet? Let's see. I wrote some notes, but I think we sort of incidentally touched on all of it. Or blew them all to hell, one of the two. Which is super, because clearly <laughs> it wasn't working the way it was. The minefield, yeah. No, I'm good. Okay, awesome. Then let's take one last turn around the table and and give final thoughts, uh, uh, any ideas that you had that you didn't get a chance to put out in the main discussion. Uh, but, but basically, load Shiri's pockets with a bunch of literary gold uh, uh, so that she can go off and write this fucking awesome story and and bring it out into the world. Cameron, we'll start with you. Final final thoughts, uh, advice, suggestions for Shiri to make this story awesome. Uh, I think you have a lot of fun stuff here. Uh, I think you took a very uh, smart way into it, and it's a way that I have a lot of sympathy for, which is let's steal someone else's plot and let's concentrate primarily on characters and world building. Um, and I think that that is where the strength of the story is going to lie. So, uh, and I think also... As we've you know gone over this uh, as well, let's yeah, let's let's make this Arthur somebody else. We'll we'll understand very quickly that this is Knights of the Round Table. Um, so let's switch up his name and decide who the story is really about. And as I said, if, once you figure out what these people want, I think the story is going to write itself, and it's going to be a lot easier than you think it is. And again, it sounds like you have a lot of stuff already in place. I hate to tell you this, you might end up burning it all down, but I can tell you right now, uh, when you figure out what these people want, this is going to be a, a great project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Brian, what do you got, sir? Um, so in this little roundabout, I have a tendency to always throw in, if if I were reading this, this is what I would want to read about. Um, and one of the things that, that really intrigues me about this storyline is the idea of the Saxons, which we didn't really touch on a whole lot. And the knights as a group and how in act three, they sort of re-emerge and come together. And I would really love to see one of the knights be a Saxon. Ooh. Um, nice. Just because then you have this, this really cool interplay and where wow. do your loyalties lie and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that would be really fun to watch unfold. From the um, outset or later on? I'm sorry. I, I think from, from the beginning. Okay. And then when they all disappear or dissipate, then nobody knows whether he or she went back to them or continued to stay loyal until they all come back together. So you could play with that. That might be kind of fun. So like um, a, wharf, and then, a wharf scenario. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> Okay, um, cool. And then the other thing, it, we didn't talk very much about Agravain, and I think that yeah. that there's a, a really cool arc there where he really wants what was due him by Uther, um, and that's I think that's what you were saying was sort of his his leading motivation um, to sort of seat uh, Belissa where she is and and to help her get there, and he's kind of the mentor character to her, but then once she's in power. Does he actually get that or does the same thing play out? The person that he then helped put into power thwarts him or, or, or turns her back on him. And I, that's another thing that I, I would be looking for as a reader. Nice. Nice. Excellent. Um, for myself, Shiri, uh, uh, one of the things that I was thinking about, just and this is just world building stuff, uh, instead of faster than light travel, what about jump gates? Uh, if if they don't have faster than light travel, but they have these these jump gates that allow them to instantly travel from one part of space to another, now suddenly you can have Cornwall be really important because you do have actual avenues, you have venues of of connect of connectivity, and you also have the benefit of uh, 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 you know the old the old uh, towns by the river or towns by the road, you know towns by the jump gates, civilizations by the jump gates are are, are made or broken by that. Uh, and taxes uh, and taxes absolutely <laughs> uh, uh, and and also you know political power uh, so so that yeah. was, that was just a thought which which led me also to think that that maybe the Saxons don't need jump gates 
Maybe mm. the Saxons have faster than light travel. Maybe maybe the resources that they want in this region of space is the fuel for their ships. And and when they come and attack, uh, uh, they you know they they tend to be mm, give me give me power rock. Uh, uh, but they're also uh, kind of cool once they're there. It, once they destroy all the warriors, they're kind of nice to the people. Uh, uh, and and actually, you know, if they're oppressed, take them away. And and you know, they talk about oh no, they slave them, they enslave them. No, no, they they actually <laughs> liberate them from Arthur's bullshit uh, uh, and bring them into the world. And that could be a reveal later on that holy crap, these people aren't being enslaved. And maybe Arthur knows this. Yes, of course, Arthur knows that they're being liberated, and that's why he's painted them as these vile bad guys uh, because they're actually giving people a viable out. Uh, from from his utopian perfection, uh, so so he's he's hiding that bit of detail from the from the people. Um, the other thought, riffing on Brian's idea, was that Agravane, Agravane strikes me as like the nuclear deterrent. Uh, uh, he's, he's, you know, yes, of course I'll help you, but you're making a deal with Satan at that point. Uh, uh, and Belissa knows this and she's desperate enough to, to give Agravain what he wants, but Agravain is really in alliance with the Saxons. And when time comes for Agravain mm. thing to come due, he brings and rains holy hell on everyone, on Belissa, on Arthur, on everyone. And it's up to Rashani to to make the ultimate sacrifice and and somehow neutralize the threat that Agravain poses to everything because Agravain doesn't want payback he wants to burn he wants it all to burn he's been living in his hate for so long he can taste it so I love you guys <laughs> <laughs> so there we go there's 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 some there's some literary gold to chew on Literary gold to chew on. I'm mixing my awesome metallurgical sauce. awesome sauce to, for for the for the feast. Absolutely, okay. Wow, awesome. Okay, Shiri, here's the deal. All right, you you go off. You write this, and 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 however long it takes, however many burn downs there are and rebuilds, you you write this. You put it out there. You put it on Amazon. You sell it for big bucks to to a for to a publisher. You PDF it and put it on your website. We don't care. You get it out in the world, and then we will have you back and we will yes. knight you. We will make you a knight of the round of the table. Round pod. table. Yes. Wit. Yes. The wit. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, very cool. So, uh, uh, so Shiri, thank you so very much for 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 giving giving us such rich food to feast on during these last hour. Uh, it, it's been awesome. It has been awesome. Thank you guys so yeah. much. I'm excited about this again. Yay! See, mission Yay. accomplished. High fives all around. <laughs> very cool. Even if you don't use anything that we've said, Absolutely. just the fact that you're excited to write it. Totally yeah. successful. Mission accomplished. Oh, I'm sort of planning on using everything. So. <laughs> awesome. Cameron Hurley, uh, uh, you you are the reason why we bring a, a seasoned uh, and insightful veteran onto the roundtable. Your insights have, have really elevated the discussion uh, uh, to a very cool level. We are so very grateful you took the time to, to come and play in our playground for a while, ma'am. Oh, thank you so much for having me, everybody. Thank you, Sherry. Absolutely. So, and once again, friends, Cameron Hurley's Mirror Empire uh, hitting bookshelves across the multiverse uh, August 26th. Although if you're going to be a Gen Con, you can get an advanced copy signed by the author, which I am going to strive for like, like, like Arthur for the Holy Grail. (laughs) Awesome. Very cool. Oh, man. Wow, Brian. That was awesome. Yeah. That was we still got it, dude. <laughs> we still got it. Was there ever a question? You know, it's like falling off a bicycle, baby. You can't, you can't That's lose right. this stuff. Uh, and as long as we're doling out gratitude, dear friends, thank you so much for tuning in. You, you complete the cycle. Without you, we're shouting into the dark void of the potosphere. So thank you for sharing this frothing roundtable awesomeness with us. Uh, if, if you're digging what's going on, hey, we've got a forum. We have an actual message board forum thing. Uh, so if you've got ideas for Shiri, go out to the Roundtable Podcast Forum. There will be a, a, a place set up for this episode. Toss your ideas uh, out there so Shiri can get, a, can get even more literary gold stuffed into her pockets. 
if you if you want to be a guest writer uh, on the show, by all means, go to our website, roundtablepodcast.com. Click the Be a Guest link, fill out the form, and you are in the queue. We'll make that happen. Uh, you can check us out on iTunes, uh, Holy Smoke Stitcher Radio. We're all over the damn place. Uh, so, wow. I'm... I'm smoking a cigarette, Brian. I don't know about you, but, but uh, this, this, this has been pretty epic. And, and the, the, the even epicer, yeah, I'm making shit up as I go. The even more epic awesomeness is that this is going to continue. In one week's time, we will have another awesome guest host to come on and share their writerly goodness with us. We'll have another courageous writer coming on, sharing their story idea for brainstorming fabulosity. Uh, it just keeps going. But that... That's a week away. So, uh, wow, that's a long time. Brian, suggestions on a pastime that our listeners might indulge in during that time? Absolutely. I think everybody needs to sharpen up their Excalibur blades that are their typing fingers and go right. Bam! There it is. Absolutely. Good sound advice as always, sir. I will suggest, dear friends, that you find what you're looking for. It's just a simple fact of life. So look for the top shelf blue label awesomeness and you will find it. We'll be back in one week's time. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2014 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.